This week on Keeping Up with the Joneses, you'll meet Robin, Emily, and Sahana, all members of the client success and voice team at Jones Media. We talk about affiliate marketing, influencer aesthetic, our favorite influenced purchase, and where we see the industry going. Robin. Hi, Robin. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Hi, Natalie. I'm good. Thanks. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. Today on our podcast, we actually have the Jones team um, on the client success and voice side. So Robin, what is it at Jones that you do? Well, I do a little bit of everything, but ultimately I'm the VP of sales operations and uh, I have two teams under me, the voice team and the client success team. So we deal with everything from influencer management over to project management on the client side. And Emily, welcome uh, to the podcast. Oh, thanks. Hi, uh, my name is Emily, and I work on the client success team. I'm a client success specialist. Um, me and Sahana as well do client success, and that's pretty much project management. We dra- talk directly with the clients, um, run the programs, traffic the ads, do all the reporting at the end of the program. Um, and yeah, I started because I was an intern here and then I got brought on full time after my first summer. So that's how I kind of got started at Jones and what I do here. Sahana, welcome to the podcast. Hey, so this is my first podcast. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so yes, uh, pretty much the same thing as Emily said, I am part of the client success team and very happy to be a part of it. Uh, I work with really talented people, including yourself. And uh, um, so as a part of the uh, team, I worked with uh, different clients, helping them uh, with project management, working with the voice team, and making sure everything goes on time. So it's very cool that at Jones, there are two different teams that kind of manage campaigns, right? We have the client success team, and you guys are client-facing, and then we have the voice team. Um, that manages the influencers. Do you think that that is an added value from Jones Media that we have a you have a team of people, not just one person managing a campaign? I mean, like personally, I think so. I think it's very helpful from the client success side of things that there is someone there um, on the voice side of things that is dealing directly with the influencers. It kind of takes a little bit of weight off us, and it makes sure that the client gets like the best, well-rounded experience since there's someone constantly in contact with the influencers, and then also someone constantly in contact with the client. So I think they kind of get like two roles for the price of one, you Mm -hmm. could say. Added value. Added value, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And to add to the point, uh, most of the times clients are concerned that there's nobody taking their side or having their back. So that's what the client success team does. When the voice team takes care of everything that has to do with the influencers, the client success makes sure that everything related to the client is taken care of as well. And they are confident that we are doing everything we can to make sure the the project is a success. Right. So it's cool that there's someone who kind of has the back for the influencers, Mm -hmm. can be their voice, um, can represent them. And then there's someone also to make sure that the client side is handled. Yeah, it's a little bit of separation, church and state, so that we have the best for both sides. Mm -hmm. Just church? (laughs) (laughs) Can't say. (laughs) (laughs) So at Jones, um, we obviously manage multiple campaigns, but in... Uh, for this podcast, I guess we'll focus on how we manage or what we think of influencer marketing, how it affects us, how we manage clients and campaigns as they come through. Um, So let's just dive right in to influencer marketing. Um, We spend a lot of time on our phones, even in the office. We spend a lot of time on Instagram. 
Um, we watch a lot of influencers. We watch a lot of the trends. We can see how the platform changes, how the algorithm messes up, um, how when it shuts down, it really, really affects mm -hmm. um, how campaigns are run, specifically for metrics. But now there's so many um, new features in Instagram, including being able to buy directly through the app. So I wanted to open up this conversation about Instagram being a shopping experience of products that we didn't even know we needed, which Robin brought up a good point today <laughs> that her and I both purchased those blue light glasses. Um, so maybe let's talk about all of a sudden we're doing all these shoppings for things that we didn't even know yeah, we wanted. Consumerism at its best yes. here. So we're looking at Instagrammers. They're saying that, oh, you need blue light glasses. So the next thing we are finding ourselves on Amazon <laughs> we next day them. with blue light glasses. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a pretty big phenomenon right now. Um, I think the shopping experience is not seamless, especially for us here in Canada. I think in the U.S. it's a little bit more seamless, but I think here in Canada we could get a little bit better. And that's due to, let's say, influencers representing brands that are more based in the U.S. than the ones here in Canada? Yeah, so a lot of times it'll take you to either like a like-to-know-it app, uh, some kind of web-based uh, site, and then it's usually a .com instead of a .ca, so then you have other factors to consider when you're trying to make a one-click purchase. Which we're all, we love the convenience of how quickly we can purchase through Amazon. And I would say like Amazon is our biggest, or one of the biggest challenges we have, that it always takes us to the .com, so the price is incorrect. Mm -hmm. Maybe it can or cannot ship to our address yeah, um, of because of where we are. Or it's um, not even available sometimes, which is super frustrating. Yeah, I think when we were speaking earlier, we were saying that's part of the concern with like to like know, to know. It is by the time we get to it, that product is gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or it's $50 shipping or something mm -hmm. that we're like, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. So how do we feel about affiliate marketing? Because, of course, we support influencers. We want to give them campaigns. We want to help them or allow them to make money. But it is ultimately our money in the end, and um, we're there promoting all of these things again that I guess we don't really even need when we're shopping. But you know, how do we feel about that being a, a strategy for influencers through affiliate links? I'm all about it. <laughs> so I'm probably the most influenced out of this group here for influencer marketing. Um, I really like it when people share with me something that they like or are using and I get to try it out. So instead of going into Sephora and looking at one million different products and trying to differentiate for myself what I should be buying, uh, following an influencer who has either similar skin or similar coloring or whatever to me and being able to like find those products and try them and test them with at least a little bit of word of mouth, mm -hmm. right? It's a little bit of a referral. Um, no one's exactly the same, of course. No one has the exact same skin tones or mm -hmm. types or whatever. Um, but, you know, combination skin, and I want to have something that makes me look glowy and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, that's something I like to – I like affiliate market for, marketing yeah. for that because I do hope that everyone's being genuine and authentic when they do put forward these products. And I think a good point you made today is that more recently a lot of influencers are putting, like, their sizes – into mm -hmm. the, like what they're buying and they're being saying like I've ordered a size 10 and it's running small or something so I feel like that's also a really good part of affiliate marketing especially for online brands because a lot of the time the online brands that influencers push like pretty little things or like fashion nova they don't have reviews which is always like a little sketchy but these influencers kind of act like these reviews mm -hmm. and I'd say most of the time the ones that I at least follow are pretty honest saying like you know what I ordered from 
this website and I love the skirt, except it runs like two sizes too small. You mm-hmm. should probably size up or like, you know what? I love the skirt, but also I hate all the pants from there. So yeah. I feel like most of the time they're honest or like I'd say 90% of the time they're honest and they wouldn't promote something that they absolutely can't stand. So And shopping online can be quite terrifying because if you're ordering from a website you've never had before, mm-hmm. you just have no idea what the product is going to be like right. once it arrives at your door. So influencers definitely help you understand the quality right. of the product or I'll use Zaffle for example because we get served all these ads on Instagram all the time um, and so I was weary of ordering from a place like Zaffle because all those bathing suits look like a hundred different ads they're all in the same ones and they're all ten dollars and they're too all good to pass yes, up it's like how are they so cheap right. um but I've ordered eight so far. And, and success rate? That, they're all great. Oh, okay. The, they don't fit me. That was my own fault for not reading the size chart. But my but if you had an influencer yeah. telling yes, you what size to order. Me, yes. Um, or I, and I never watched a Zaffle haul right. YouTube video, which is my own mistake. I should know better. <laughs> so I think for that part, uh, if the influencer, when they market these products or if they put up content about these products, if they are more informative informative about the the ads that they do, the content that they do, I think that's more, in, in, it's more useful to a user, mm-hmm. to an end user like me. I mean, I have personally never shopped anything just because an influencer showed showcased the product, but I have tried experiences. Like I go to a restaurant because somebody recommended right. it. I might go to take a trip because somebody recommended it because that's more believable for me than anything else. But, yeah, that's personally my choice. But, yes, as much information as they can give out in the, in the content, that would help. And Clearly. so I think that here we're talking about, like, you know, you guys are purchasing online clothing, beauty. You're talking more of an experience yeah. that's being sold to you through Instagram. So um, how important is it? So we'll talk about Glossier. They're an online. They came out on Instagram. They use the influencer marketing as their strategy. And then they open up a store But the store itself, they've created Instagrammable moments so that when you get there, you have this whole experience. And um, our friends at Newscreen did a a question on on Twitter just saying, you know, how important is it now that the product actually has a brick-and-mortar store and has the Instagrammable moment? And I think for us, it's kind of the experience in itself then allows for you guys to do the purchasing online and for this type of user to get the experience. So it's kind of imperative. What do you guys feel about that? I think there are like two sides to this, uh, and something that you can't ignore is the how the brick and mortar stores are now fighting for attention with e-commerce stores bo- booming that they have to put up an Instagramable mm-hmm. section in their stores to get the walk-ins. Um, but yes, the experience does help. Um, it makes the shopping experience complete. It like um, gives you a wholesome experience, just not just picking up the product, but making you feel special, making you feel like an influencer. I think that helps. I think, um, like, if we're talking specifically Glossier, I think it grew so much online. Everyone was so invested in it online and so invested about ordering these products. When it did have a pop-up store, it really benefited them well because all these people were like, oh, my gosh, like, it's kind of like an online celebrity putting a Mm pop-up store. You want to see what they're like in person. You want to see what they have in person. And I think uh, pop-up stores, maybe not, like, full-on brick-and-mortar stores that are, like, like, there for a long time, but pop-up stores, I think, are such a good secondary aspect to an online store or like Gymshark. Gymshark did a yeah. pop-up in, I think it was... It was two days. Yeah. Days and they sold and out. it was ridiculous. So I think that's the thing. It's like you build up so much hype on Instagram that when you do do a pop-up limited edition um, exclusive store that it really like bodes well for the Instagram brands. 
Yeah, and I think just having an Instagrammable moment for any brand, it just helps you get your word the word out even mm-hmm. more, right? So people are putting it on their Instagram, on their Facebook, on Twitter. Um, so it's promotion, right? So having that is ingenious in my mind. I think that for that um, to all come together, though, what we're really talking about is the strength of a brand, mm-hmm. right? Glossier obviously had their marketing really really nailed on the head in order for people to kind of gravitate to it right away, sell out, Mm -hmm. have people so needy to kind of get it into their hands and then get into a store. So how do you think, how do you think brands that come alive, um, on Instagram, like why do they do so well? Like why did Gymshark become, how is it possible that all of a sudden overnight, it wasn't obviously overnight. I know that's not a real success, um, stairway, (laughs) but, but, you know, we just watched the Beyonce documentary. It's eight months into that show. So, but, you know, how do these brands really create that experience online and make themselves so noteworthy? Like, what is it about Glossier or what do you guys think? Maybe exclusivity. Like, a lot of the times when you're, like, launching a brand, they do look at, like, in internet celebrities and, like, influencers to, like, be the, like, flagship influencers of the brand. And then when they get it, like, their followers feel like it's exclusive to them. It's, like, specific. So, I don't know. That's just one thing that I could think of right now. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, they feel like they're part of something. Yeah, it's like a community. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would say a traditional um, example I can think of that is when uh, Von Dutch was big in, like, the millennium. <laughs> and maybe Justin... Timberlake or Paris Hilton wore a Von Dutch hat and Britney Mm -hmm. on a red carpet and then the next week every single girl in my grade 12 class was walking around with Von Dutch so I think that how do you guys influencer marketing overall the idea of it is not new right athletes influencers well even that what you just said Von Dutch is like essentially that was influencer marketing and it's weird 2005 (laughs) cents you know what I mean like they saw it in a tabloid and it was like oh well Britney Justin Paris has it, so you want to hear it, have it too, which is like essentially like the first forms of influencer marketing. So, where do you see influencer marketing? I guess even statistically, because on the client side, you guys see the hard data of what the results of these campaigns are. How many people actually see the campaign? How many people actually swipe up on an Instagram story? Like, that's all hard data that Mm -hmm. we can all very clearly see, put campaign next to campaign and compare. So, do you guys have any thoughts on? what might be next for influencer marketing? I feel like there's going to be a lot of accountability on the influencer Mm -hmm. side. I mean, it's getting more challenging as it's growing. Mm -hmm. So it's not as easy as it was to become an influencer now. You can't just open up an account, have a bunch of pictures, and then become an influencer. Now you need to show numbers to the brands. Brands want to know whether the association resulted in something, in sales. Everybody's talking numbers now. So... I think that's something that's going to be the focus for everyone, ROI. Um, if you're giving somebody, if you're backing an influencer, if someone, if you're working with someone, what is it? what does it mean for the brand? Mm-hmm. So um, I don't see the trend dying down at all. It's only going to grow, but it's also going to get complicated and challenging. So I feel like um, there's going to be a lot of um, organization or technology that will be invested into getting the numbers, uh, getting these influencers equipped with the right numbers mm-hmm. and with the technology so that they can provide the information that they need to maintain the business that they are in. And probably help the inf- influencers understand how to build themselves a brand yes. and business more than just partnership um, ads. Yeah, so at, the, guys? at the beginning, 
so influencers on Instagram or Facebook, um, we didn't know what their following was, right? So they just, you know, 10,000 followers, 20,000 followers, no one knew what that was comprised of. Now, what's, like even with our own technology, we see exactly what demo their following is, uh, where they live, uh, how many bots they have. Mm -hmm. So, you know, back in the day, a few people would have bought a lot of um, followers on Instagram, right? So those are things that uh, are changing the influencer marketing um, landscape for sure, and uh, I think will uh, ultimately hurt the ROI for advertisers in the end. And I think that influencers, they also need the kind of that education piece to know that this is information that's being shared about yeah. them, right? Now, you can't really just get away with saying, oh, I have um, 6,000 followers or whatever, you know? Like, that that number is just not enough anymore because there's so much data to actually talk about how far your following actually goes, your reach, how far this brand is. Like, your the brand is now paying more for the engagement versus um, well, their numbers. Yeah, that's something I was going to say, too, is that, I mean at the end of the day it's you have a million followers but you're only reaching a small percentage mm -hmm. of them so I feel like maybe if something is to change in the future um influencers are either gonna have to get on board with maybe um <laughs> just flip it under, <laughs> <laughs> flip it under. there you go, oh, there you go. <laughs> um I was what was I saying Oh, um, getting paid for, like, the amount of likes and the amount of reach that they actually bring together on, like, an average as opposed to their followers. Because half the time, based on the al algorithm that Instagram yeah. has changed recently, it's not uh, anything to do with them. It's Instagram changing their algorithm. They're not getting as many likes. They're not getting as much reach, which is, like, super frustrating for them. But then I would say it's also super frustrating for the brands who purchase a uh, influencer that has a million followers and they're only getting... 10,000 likes, if that, depending on... Well, yeah, on. I mean, we're seeing about 10% of the actual mm -hmm. followers as reach. Yeah. So if you do have a million followers, like, you're not reaching a million people anymore. So there has to be some devaluization of that as well, right? We have to look at what is that actually worth, because that is no longer... Um, how many followers you have, it really doesn't matter in the algorithm. And influencers don't really want to pay for any traffic. They don't want to pay to reach their audience. And again, that's no fault to their own. It's really the algorithm from yeah. Instagram and Facebook that's doing this. But what's interesting is what Instagram is testing now and taking yeah. away, potentially showing people how many likes um, a post got yeah. and that whole scenario. So that, I think, is interesting because... It's not that it'll be hidden from the brands, like we'll still be able to report on those metrics, but to the end user, what will happen to those engagements now because of the herd mentality, right? Yeah. So this post got 10,000 likes, so I better go like it, right? So I need to be in the know. Um, so what will that mean going forward, right? And I never really thought about people po um, liking a photo because so many people had already, I the personally egg. don't use, yeah, other than, the, but that was a test. Yeah. But I don't, like, I wouldn't like, I never thought about if maybe that is a user behavior yeah. that I have mm -hmm. is just to like a photo based on the other likes that already exist. And you're right in the test, you as the account holder can still see mm -hmm. what the numbers are. Um, but do you think that that will deter people? Like, are you guys influenced by how the numbers that you see on other people's content? I personally am not, but I would see a video. Like I would watch a video completely if I see like, 50,000 likes on a video, right. and I, was, I would want to know what it is about. But maybe going and liking it would be a personal decision. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be influenced by how many people saw it. But maybe, again, completion rate of videos, click to a site, these things can be influenced. 
So maybe not just likes. But what about posting? Because I would be deterred. Like if, yeah, like because the right. algorithms, you see so much li- like fewer likes on your post now. So I would actually like to not see likes anymore because that does deter a lot of people from posting because they're like, well, we've had influencers recently who have taken down their post yep. because it hasn't gotten you know the amount of likes that they wanted within the first hour. So they're like, I'm deleting it and I'm going to have to repost. So this is like this is affecting everyone really, right? Not even just teenagers and you know, your average user, but it's also affecting their livelihoods because some people are being uh, paid on a cost per engagement basis. Um, Some people are paid on, you know, overall reach of their posts. So, um, and with technology, because we can see all these numbers now, like there's no, there's no fudging anything. Yeah, you can't hide it. There's no hiding. Yeah. Anymore. As much as they would like to. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think it's, I think it would be a weird thing for Instagram to do just because the whole basis, like the whole platform of Instagram was kind of like based around likes and that's how I feel like a lot of follow my thing was are they going to take away that page on Instagram where you can swipe to the left and see what your friends have liked like are they going to take away that page because that's a lot of the time if I don't if I'm lazy and I don't feel like looking up all these accounts I will go to that page to see like oh what are my friends liking like Am I missing anything in pop culture? So see, that's funny because I do. So I don't know if that's like a generation. The only time I would use that is when my boyfriend and I right, and then you want to see what girls he's liking. liking. I've done that too. Just kidding, I haven't. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Let's edit that out. That's the only reason I I even right. No, you know what? I haven't looked at that in about a year. Really? Maybe two years. Oh, guys, I look at it every day. Explore page. Do you guys use? Oh yeah, I use the explore page. No, I'm either. Really? I, look at I, I have too answer. many people to follow as it is. Like, yeah. I don't need more content in my life. Like, yeah. the content is literally a dime a dozen, let's be honest. Like, there's a lot of content out there. So it has to be very specific and has to be yeah. curated for me, right? So I like certain types of things in my feed, and, and that's who I follow, and that's what I like. So I think that that's a good um, topic to talk about in terms of how do we get that message to brands on how personalized the experience on influence on Instagram actually is because content is obviously as cliche as this sound content is always king mm-hmm. right it doesn't matter if you buy the followers it doesn't matter um, if you buy the likes the content that's going to perform well is just overall really great content but all four of us in this room all have a very different online, interest or personalities like we all obviously in real life (laughs) have very different personalities and different interests so how do we convey to brands that in order to have a really successful campaign a you know is it more so that we have to stay really aligned with the influencers personality and storyline and aesthetic because their followers follow them for that because the followers relate to the influencers and or do we try and explain to brands that the experience is so personal, so there has to be a variety of content that's created? It's actually both, right? Because And both of them align to the same point. You tap into the personality of the influencer and you would tap into the personality of the user because the user follows the influencer because of certain style, mm-hmm. right? So uh, say Robin follows... Jillian Harris. Jillian Harris. Yeah. <laughs> she does. She loves her. Because she relates to everything that that influencer posts. I wouldn't follow that person. I would follow like a comic artist or something because I would I completely relate to that information mm-hmm. that they're sharing. So if you focus on the style of the influencer and the personality of the influencer, I think you're gonna get all the boxes checked. And do you do you see since again on your on your side as a team, can you see that statistically in the metrics that? 
you know, when an influencer really has the creativity to do the content um, that best reflects them, that it actually performs better. Because I think in the end, brands will be like, sure, if they do their own thing, great. But at the end of the day, they want to know that it's going to perform the best. Yeah, I mean, if something matches with your feed and sticks out, like, I don't want to say, like, the least amount possible, but blends in, I'd say, naturally with their feed, but also is promoting a brand, it's going to do better than if it's blatantly a logo or mm-hmm. like a, like, I mean, it's got a, you're, you're picking the influencer for a reason. And the reason is that aesthetic they're following and you don't want to do something so out of left field that it'll feel not authentic. And I feel like influencer marketing is a lot about authenticity. Um, so the more authentic it is, I'd say the more, um, the better the content would do. But to that, they also can't make it just like, if it's for like a car brand and it's them like holding their children like in the mountains and then be like, oh, like this is my car. It, like that doesn't make sense too. Like it has to make sense for the brand, but also that comes down to picking the right influencers that are truly like champions for your brand. Then, yeah. it, then it should come on organically, I'd say. Yeah, and that's why I think certain categories really should, we should look at ambassadors versus influencers. For sure. Something like an FI or an auto client. Fashion. You don't want, um, well, fashion, no, we not kind really. of all use Just kidding. Brands. <laughs> Take that back. Um, but FI, you know, a few of us may have a couple different brands that we bank with, right? So you may have somebody for your mortgage, you may have somebody else for your credit card. Um, but ultimately, there are people like me who have one brand, one bank, one FI, and I don't really shop around because right. it's it, there's a lot of different things going on. But it's also the, the case for auto, right? You don't really want somebody showing your brand in their feed uh, and then six weeks later, they're they're posting about another brand, right? So it comes back to that whole authentic self um, and believing, right? So yeah. the influencers I follow personally, I actually trust them. Like there's a, a certain level of trust there that whatever you're showing me or talking about is true to you and you're not going to like BS me, right? Like I'm going to know that what you're talking about is a true feature, it's a true sale, it's a true... Uh, reflection of the um, product itself and that I can trust that when I test it, it's going to be something similar. Um, So I I think that there's a whole like ambassadors versus influencers. I think that that is something that we should be looking at more and more for certain categories, um, but especially for FI and auto. Jillian Harris, if you're listening, Robin wants to be your best friend and I think you guys should hang out. You get along very well. Call me. You get along so well. (laughs) And speaking to authenticity and the look and feel of a brand, We all recently read or looked at that Atlantic article stating that the aesthetic Mm -hmm. um, of Instagram is dead or dying. Um, Emily and I had an interesting conversation on what really is an aesthetic. Is it just the color? Is it the presets? Is it the tones? Or is it also the way somebody poses? So there's like a comedic artist that, or she looked funny um, on her Instagram, who just does funny things. And every post is that same style. So is it consistency of the same style that's really aesthetic? Is it the coloring? Is it the tone? Is aesthetic dead? Doesn't matter. You guys tell me. You know the answers. <laughs> okay, well, what I was talking to Natalie about is we were saying that, like, I was saying I don't feel like aesthetic is dead. I just feel like the aesthetic is changing from what was popular more recently. So recently what was popular, I'd say, like, in the last five years was posing in front of a mural, posing with bright colors, every, th- every your feed having, like, a blue theme, a pink theme, like, one of those things. But now what we're seeing with younger, like, Gen Z millennials is it's kind of, like, a little bit more all over the place. The pictures are more grainy. The pictures are kind of, I, I don't want to say dull, but, like, less colorful. And, like, and you a, think it's a theme that's un, less curated. I think that's less. What? So what I was saying is that I feel like it's 
still a type of aesthetic, just not as curated as what used to be popular. So I don't feel like aesthetics dying. I feel like aesthetic is evolving, evolving. Yeah. And flipping to something less curated. So yeah. And it's kind of, it's what the cool kids are doing. Right. Right. So the cool kids are saying, and those are those 18 year olds on Instagram. Those are the cool kids now. They don't want to have a a (laughs) perfectly curated feed because that's who they make fun of in their life. Let's be honest. Yeah. They're like, I will never be that person who has like a bright white aesthetic and it's only decor and whatever. Like that's so. I only wear a pink dress in any photo. (laughs) Yeah. Like, so, you know, the cool kids are doing it and we have to watch what the cool kids are doing because that is the evolution of digital media, right? So in the last 15, 20 years of digital media, we've seen, uh, Places like MySpace come and go. Uh, <laughs> even Snapchat, right? That is a whole other can of worms there. Like, what is the future of Snapchat? They and I really miss it so much. You do, yeah. yeah. The filters or the actual content that well, you're watching. Well, the filter, watching? obviously, because like that Botox one was the best filter that <laughs> yeah. there was. But I just mean it. It was more fun, right? I think. And then but, it does. I just don't. I think stories are so. Again, mm-hmm. like it's so much. So much curation mm-hmm. on Instagram and stories still like they have to look nice. There's there's a feel to it. Whereas on Snapchat, like it could be all of my double chins oh, yeah. and dog ears. Well, the more and the better. Yeah. 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 It's <laughs> a little like, less I don't want to say professional. It's like you're for your close like, the thing that people say is like Snapchat is for like your close friends, yes. like and your Instagram's for friends. like yeah, your drink friends. <laughs> I didn't want to say that, but yeah, no, it's true. Um, but yeah, back to like the Instagram being so curated. Like I posted a story the other day. And I spelt the word technology wrong, but I had already posted two after that. And it was like a series. So I couldn't delete the one with the word technology. And I got so many people message, like literally like five people. I didn't message you on purpose. You didn't. I really appreciate that. None of you guys did actually. (laughs) And I'm a bad speller, so you guys shouldn't. But like, honestly. I spelled it wrong today, actually. Did you? Technology? I noticed today. No. Oh. I wrote forever, (laughs) forever mood. In one of my funny stories. I wrote technology. I forgot to see. I forgot an E. It says fervor. A fervor. (laughs) But that could be cool. That's what the cool kids are doing. I don't know what my point was. I think my point was that people, like, kind of realize when you mess up something that doesn't fit your actual Instagram and they're messaging Mm. you being like, oh, you know what? Like, you missed this. You missed this. I'm like, you know what, guys? Everyone makes mistakes. Chill out. But I think that was my point. I can't really remember. spelling wrong on purpose from now on. Because that's my brand. part of your brand. Yeah, it's my brand. But then again, there's a culture of being a perfectionist on Instagram. Everybody wants to be a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. And whether it's images or text, everybody Mm -hmm. wants to correct somebody and stand out as the one who's perfect without any flaws. They're not. I knew it, guys. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening. Anyway, (laughs) I'm not bitter. Um, I think it's interesting that Snapchat has never really shown metrics for anyone's content, right? So, you know, they have that whole stories page or whatever it is, but you don't know how many people have viewed any one certain story. You don't even know how many people are subscribed to those Mm -hmm. stories. Yeah, it's a very black box kind Mm -hmm. of scenario. So I wonder, you know, based on this whole Instagram test that they're doing, you know, what that mentality and why they're moving towards it. Cause they do want people to be, create more content and post more content, spend more time on Instagram. Like we don't enough already Oh my god, I know. Um, <laughs> because that's why they invented stories, right. To, to combat Keep the whole there. Snapchat. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting that, but I find that Snapchat, maybe this is just me, but I don't find that they do like a real push to get you back. Like I don't oh, find no. that through this no, I don't see that dip either. in users. Like they just let everyone leave and we're like, it's fine. <laughs> It's cool. We'll just keep going with yeah. our half of like. I kind of feel the same the way people. about Twitter. Like Twitter's just been Twitter for so long, and like they've said, like they're losing followers. They're I using know, but revenue, they're very and they uniquely don't do Twitter. I think yeah. that's well, the difference. I think Snapchat the only is kind of like Instagram. Yeah, 
I guess so. Right? So they don't have a, like, Twitter doesn't really have a competitor out there that's yeah. very I mean, similar I, to them. I would say that, but then also when Facebook and Instagram went down, Twitter's users, like, spiked. So in yeah. a sense, yeah. they still are oh. competitors. And that was ridiculous. And every platform just has its own persona. Yeah. Right? Like, Twitter has its own like person yeah. that is the Twitter person. And you go there Instagram. for a reason though yes. too, right? Yeah. So if you're watching a live event or if you're at a some kind of like sporting, live tweeting Game of Thrones. Live tweeting yeah. or <laughs> the, the Bachelor. Or the Bachelor, yeah. <laughs> Those are always spoilers for Avengers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like you're actually watching TV or yeah. watching an event with other people because mm-hmm. you're sharing your opinions and you're so it's a very specific and unique experience yeah. versus, you know, the other side of social which is, look at my perfectly curated home. You don't see the big mound of clothes behind me that I haven't <laughs> folded in two months. But Jillian Harris. <laughs> <laughs> no, she, she shows everything. <laughs> She's so authentic. She's so authentic, I see her garbage. Like, it's fine. Um, on the side of agencies, where do you think that our roles, because let's say five, ten years ago, our jobs literally didn't exist. Like, you didn't need someone to rep. Of course, talent management. Mm-hmm. Always existed. And like account Interns, yes. Project management, yeah. of course, always existed. Um, but specifically in the digital marketing field, in the social media field, um, in ads, even your role specifically, Robin, has definitely changed a lot from banner ads, marketing, I would say, mm-hmm. like on, um, on the internet to now specifically on a platform of just Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you think agency life goes um, in terms of marketing and trends and digital fields, I guess. I I think influencer marketing kind of sits in the middle of a lot of different roles and responsibilities. So you can have your PR agencies who obviously do a lot of influencer marketing, but they're not really reporting back on on the metrics and the ROI and telling you how an influencer did and Mm -hmm. all that fun stuff and sentiment. Um, And then you have creative agencies who are also using influencers in their uh, TV spots and commercials and, you know, outdoors and all that stuff, right? So you have, and then you have influencer marketing agencies that specialize in it, like us, who have technology and we have the platforms, and this is what we do on a day-to-day basis, right? So I think it sits in a lot of different buckets, and we're still trying to figure out who owns the budget for influencer marketing, because a lot of people do it in-house as well, right? So the brands themselves have either an in-house team who take care of their influencer marketing, they have a PR company, Um, they may let their media agency do it, they may let their creative agency do it, or they may, you know, outsource somebody like Jones, and we would do it for them, right? So I think it's it's very fragmented right now, and we, we haven't figured that out yet. And I think that there is a lot of opportunity still, um, oh, in, there's so much opportunity in this in this world. Like we're just getting started into what you can really, um, what you can accomplish, who you can reach, what kind of personality an influencer will become. Because some of them do become real big mm-hmm. celebrities, mm-hmm. Um, not just uh, on Instagram influencers. So to wrap things up, I would like to know if you guys would like to be influencers <laughs> hells yeah <laughs> i think it would depend on the kind of like if someone wants to pay me to travel if you're listening <laughs> i will do it and i'm kind i could do it but like yeah i think it would depend on the type of influencer like the kind of influencer that's like a travel influencer like that would be great that's the life but then again like you said robin like it's only like a very curated, authentic, per- perfect part of their life. So I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of the times it's people think, and yeah, it's I was going to say. work. So let's yeah. say, you know, we just worked on that CIBC Aventura card program. Mm-hmm. Um, we had four influencers go and do these amazing trips, but that was a work, like they went there for work 
they filmed everything they were doing. It was con- like constant content had to come out of that. Yeah. There are rules of things that they had to do for the video. So if you want to pay me to go to a resort in Mexico and just be there, right? I'm, I'm definitely in. Maybe I'll write reviews. Instead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Hannah, would you like to be an influencer? Yeah. So I think I agree with you on that. I would love to be an influencer and I <laughs> love traveling. So maybe a travel influencer. But when I think about the work that involves in being an influencer, it's yeah. just so much work. And um, because the rules are not really set for influencer marketing, even now, like everything is still getting in place. So everybody's learning, even an influencer is learning yeah. right now on how to do the things right. So I think till the market is set for an influencer saying that, okay, this is how you got to do it. And, you know, don't worry about it because, you know, how we work, we have a set of rules. Mm-hmm. I think till then, I would just stay away from it. Mm-hmm. And we were talking to, yeah. like, yesterday when you said, do you have a, want to have a blog? Yeah. And we were both like, yeah, we want blogs, but we don't want the pressure of having yes. to right. constantly mm-hmm. have it updated. Or I wouldn't want the pressure of that having to be where, like, having to post because that's where my money comes from. Right. Because right. back to the whole authenticity, mm-hmm. that's sometimes how you lose it because now it's like, well, bro, I got to pay the bill. Right, yeah, exactly. I, I will say I would definitely not want to be a YouTuber. I feel like YouTubers probably have... I'd say the most pressure out of them off out of all the platforms because a lot of the times they end their videos like I'll see you next week with a new video so that's every single week you're posting out a new yeah, video every single week how many different looks can you right do every exactly. single week you have to be or people that are being funny like people whose like mm-hmm. niche is being funny like how much pressure is that to put out content that's funny that's engaging that's, that's on brand like you know what I mean so kudos to you YouTubers because I would not it's be able to do what you do a type of personality that you are really good at yeah. being able to block out what other people think of you, mm-hmm. right? It's really just, you have got to a place in your own self-care and self-love <laughs> that you literally can not base your worth on likes. Because if I don't get 40 likes on my Instagram, I, like, want to have the, a meltdown. Yeah, the world's mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, like I posted it on Instagram during the Leafs game the other night. Worst decision yeah, of no, my life. Can't. It did so poorly. Oh, and But I did not delete topic. it. I did not that's delete it. Topic. We need to talk about time of day. Oh, yeah, that's a whole nother. Well, <laughs> but I would totally love to be an influencer if I had, like, complete freedom on what I did. Yeah, which I think like, that's how it yeah. started. Yeah. Right? So if we had gone into influencer marketing five years ago and we could just be the OGs and just make up the rules, that would have been better. Now it's like, too much pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, on our Jones team podcast number two, we will discuss best times <laughs> so that we don't all feel. Or just like a get to know terrible. you. We, we're pretty fun. You can just yeah. listen to us chat. You can follow us on Jones uh, on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> or on Jones too. Mr. and Mrs. Jones underscore Canada. You can also follow Robin and Emily and Sahana. But on not Instagram. Natalie. <laughs> She won't let us follow Thanks her. Thanks for being on this week. <laughs> We're ending. <laughs> See ya. Bye. Bye. <laughs>